Well, thanks for worshiping with us here today at Crossroads. If you were here last Sunday, you know that something pretty powerful happened. And we just want to acknowledge that. And uh, my team and I have been very much appreciative of the kind words, the uh, just affirmation about uh, good preaching and great worship and awesome time just to express ourselves and the vulnerability and transparency. And I just want to be clear that um, what happened last week is not a result of any one of those things or a combination of all of them. What happened last week among us is that God's Holy Spirit showed up especially powerfully in hearts and lives of people who were seeking God's forgiveness for the hurt that they had caused uh, someone in their life uh, who's part of the body of Christ, as well as as many of us sought the healing and comfort that we can receive from God from hurt that was caused by uh, someone or, or the local church. And we just want to acknowledge that God is up to something and God has been working and we continue to trust that God will continue to work. Here's what we recognize, just one service, one um, just moment it's probably not sufficient to handle and put to bed all the hurt that many of us have felt. Um, and also, uh, there's still more work to be done. And so we just acknowledge that God is doing this and we want to lean into what he's doing. And as a congregation, as your pastor, I want to come alongside to help. And uh, last weekend, we shared some resources through our website just to uh, be available for people who might be processing, like, how do I work through making an apology? How do I work through offering forgiveness? What does reconciliation really look like? Um, my friends at our Crossroads Counseling Center put together some helpful resources that are on our website. You can find them at cccgo.com forward slash info under sermon resources. Like I said, there's a great helpful handout about how you can work through some of these. And of course, our friends at the Counseling Center are always there to help come alongside us. We just acknowledge that this is deep work. And we trust that God will continue to bring the salve that our hearts need, as well as the strength and the courage to find reconciliation. We have been overwhelmed by story after story of people who just shared about what God prompted them to do, the action they have taken, even in the past seven days, to bring some reconciliation to relationships that have been splintered for years upon years. And we've intentionally not put a camera in anybody's face or even created some formal way to solicit those stories because what we since happened last week is sacred, maybe even a pivotal moment, a turning point in the life of this body of believers. We pray that that maybe we'll never be the same because of that. It was very intentional on our part as a leadership to begin the year the way we have, to address this meh feeling, this feeling of apathy that seems to be so pervasive around us in our culture, but it's also creeped into many of our spiritual lives and our relationship with God. And what we wanted to just be able to acknowledge that because to go on any journey towards something, you have to start by recognizing where you are. If we want to go to where uh, we might want to be or where God wants us to be, we have to begin right here and now. And so the work that we want to continue to do now is to look at what is God leading us towards. And as we share back on Vision Sunday in November, we have just have this very strong conviction that God wants more for uh, those who call Crossroads home. He wants us to lean into a deeper relationship, an intimate relationship with him. He wants us to reflect the love that he has for us to those around us. He wants us like never before to discover how we've been created uniquely and to join his mission. And all that we describe by the words 
abide. What it means to abide is to um, nurture all of those things. And today we begin a journey that will just help us understand what it means to truly abide. With God's help, we want every person who calls Crossroads home to understand what it means to be with God and to be with others and be sent by abiding. For the past several months, our elders, our executive team, our staff have been combing through the words that Jesus said recorded by the, in the Gospel of John. And we find these words about abiding in John 15. So I'd encourage you, if you have a copy of the Bible, if you want to use the one in the seat back in front of you, or you have one on a mobile device or some type of electronic device, turn to John 15. It's important as we begin this journey to have some context about what's happening in the life of Jesus in this moment. And where we know he finds himself right now, uh, when he says these words, is it's the night before he's going to be crucified. He's gathered in this place called the Upper Room. It's a place where he wanted to be with his closest friends, the 12 disciples, and celebrate the Passover meal. This Passover meal is a traditional celebration that happens by the instructions of God so that the people of Israel would never forget how much God loves them and also would never forget what he had rescued them from. There are very specific details and instructions that God gives to the people of Israel to commemorate the Passover meal. And maybe if you're reading through the Bible with us this year, you've made it now through the book of Exodus, and you've been able to read the account of God leading the people out of Egypt through his servant Moses, performing miraculous signs, and then commemorating this meal to be celebrated. I also want to just say a word of encouragement to you out there who might have said, yeah, I started that and it got to like mid-January and I kind of just flamed out and like I just kind of quit. I want to just encourage you, or if you feel like quitting, I just want to encourage you to stay engaged. The, the, the whole um, purpose of reading through the Bible is to get to know God, to engage him through his word. It's not a race and there are no cookies when you make off that final checkbox, all right? So... Go deep in just getting to know God. That's the whole purpose of that reading plan. This meal that Jesus is celebrating, it's with his closest friends, and he wanted to be there because he knew the time for his departure was coming. He knew he was going to be crucified. He knew he was going to resurrect from the grave, and he also knew that he was going to go back up into heaven. And so he spent these last tender moments with his disciples. He wanted to just there were more things he wanted to tell them and teach them and show them, convey to them. He also was there to commission them. He washed their feet. He instituted the Lord's Supper. He pointed out how his body was going to be broken and he was going to bleed, much like the Passover lamb that they had just enjoyed eating. It would be the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan to reconcile humanity back to him. And he spent some time predicting what was going to happen to him as well as what was going to happen to them. I'd encourage you to find some time this week to read all of John 13 through 18 to kind of get this full picture of all that Jesus is demonstrating and communicating to his followers, both then but also us now. Some commentators note that when Jesus says these words in the last verse of John 14, come now, let's leave, that he actually stands up and they leave the upper room together. Now the they, the they is 11 disciples in Jesus because by this point, Judas has already headed out to gather the religious leaders and the temple guard to go and arrest Jesus. 
But Jesus and the 11 disciples, they make their way from the upper room and they go down through the city of Jerusalem. They pass by the temple, which is open, uh, open all night because the Passover had so many people in town to worship. The gates were wide open and they passed the temple. They made their way through the Kidron Valley, which was outside the walls of the city. And they come to this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a full moon that night. We know that because the full moon indicated when the Passover was to be celebrated. And so they could see everything around them. I like to think that as they made their way into the Garden of Gethsemane, they passed a, a mountainside that was covered with vineyards, lots of vines. And it's along the way, or maybe it's when they get to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus says these words recorded in John 15 and 16. And it begins by him saying this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, this image of a vine is not a new or unfamiliar reference point for, for those who were in the ancient world. This was an agrarian society, so they grew everything that they ate and that they drank. It was common. It reminds me of a comedian I heard one time who says he'd been getting these postcards from the Visitor Bureau of California that said, come to California and walk the vineyards of California where Julio and Gallo walked. He said, you people in Indiana need to get on the stick. I mean, a vineyard is just a grape farm and you guys have corn farms, so you need to say, come to Indiana and walk the cornyards of Indiana where Orville walked and popcorn was created, right? Just made me think of that as I was reading through this moment. A vineyard was significantly spiritually significant because the people of Israel were often referred to as a, the vine or vineyard of God all throughout the Old Testament. One of the moments is in Psalm 80 where a guy named Asaph wrote this poetic description of God and his people relating to a vine. Look what he says. You, meaning God, transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the Mediterranean Sea. It shoots as far as the Euphrates River. In poetic language, Asaph praised God for how he chose the people of Israel as his own and blessed them, rescued them from Egypt, and then multiplied and prospered them in the promised land. This image of the vine had become kind of a national symbol for the people of Israel. There was a Jewish coin that had a vine stamped on it. And the gates that those disciples passed that night at the temple were ornately decorated with a gold vine. People describe this gold vine as like a Christmas tree. People would actually come and hang like ornaments on this vine as an act of worship when they were headed to the temple. But the people of Israel rebelled against God and they disobeyed him. And that prompted the prophet Isaiah to write his own song. And this song is much less flattering. Look what he says. He said, I'll sing a song for the one I love about a song, a song about his vineyard. My loved one, God, had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for a good crop of grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. God speaking, he says, Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judea, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I've done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? 
he continues to say this. Now I'll tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'll take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. And briars and thorns will grow there. I'll command, command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord, Isaiah says, is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. When Jesus tells his disciples that he is the true vine, he's making a very powerful statement. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of all that the people of Israel should have been. I'll produce the fruit, the farmer, the, the gardener, the father, the vine dresser, some translations say, what he desires for his people. This statement by Jesus is actually the seventh I am statement that John records. John records Jesus saying these, I am the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the gate, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the true vine. What Jesus was saying in all of these very short I am statements was I am God. He was making it very clear that he and God are one, but also all of these are a reference back to some relationship that God wanted to have with the people of Israel that are completely fulfilled now in Jesus. It's made possible to all people. In fact, it's no longer about being Jewish. It's about Jesus. In Jesus, we find all that God is as well as all that he created us to be. We could easily point our fingers at those nasty people of Israel who turned their back on God and found their identity in something else, right? But how quickly do you and I find our identity in something else other than Jesus? It could be our title or position at work. It could be our GPA. It could be the way that others feel about us in the neighborhood. It could be some accomplishment that we received. It could be our marital status. It could be something that we provide for other people. My son, Cade, likes to uh, butter me up. He'll say to me, hey, Dad, you're a good preacher. You're a good preacher, Dad. Can we go to Jalisco to eat? It's like always just one, two punch like that, you know? And so I know his ploy, and so I try not to give in to it every time, but, you know. Then he knows the other way that he tries to get my goat. He thinks he's really going to attack me when... After I discipline him or tell him no to something, he's like, you're a bad preacher. You're a bad preacher under his breath. So he tries really hard to attack me where he thinks my identity might be found. But my friends, if my identity is wrapped up into this nice little 30 minutes I get to share with you every week, you know, I've got a lot of problems, right? This is a good reminder that all of us are tempted to find our identity in something else. And Jesus is addressing that when he defines who he is but also defines who we are in him. Let's look back at his words, starting in verse one again of 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will become even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I've spoken to you, Jesus says. These are pretty strong words right out of the gate. Jesus is saying, God, the gardener, is going to cut off every branch that does not bear fruit. And he also prunes those that are bearing fruit so that they will bear even more fruit. 
We've already seen him do this with Israel. He cut them off because they turned their back on him. And some believe he was even making a reference to Judas, who by now had already left to go the way of the destruction. He's speaking to the remaining 11 disciples, and I think us too. He's letting us know that we're created for a purpose, to produce fruit. And you might ask, well, what is that fruit, Phil? Well, that fruit is the godly character displayed in the way that Jesus lived and the way that Jesus loved. In creation, God said, let us make man in our image. We were created as image bearers, human beings to reflect the image of God to the world around us. And the fruit that Jesus speaks of is the same fruit that the Spirit produces in us, which again reflects the life of Jesus, a person who's patient and kind, humble and others-focused, compassionate, gentle, forgiving, in addition to be, being completely holy. You know, if you hear that list, you might feel like I do, like I hear that list and there's no possible way I could ever be all those things. And Jesus' response to that is, you're right, you can't, especially without me. While we were created in the image of God, sin has tainted that image in us. And Jesus came to redeem that image in us, to purify us from all unrighteousness and to recreate us into his image. And he told the disciples that night, Jesus did, how it was possible. He probably may have been surrounded by some grapes when he said these words in verses four and five. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me? And then verse five is a verse I would encourage you to memorize. It says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The word remain is the word that's also translated abide. The original Greek word is meno and it's translated in many ways, abide, continue, dwell, remain, make our home in. It speaks of continual, intimate, permanent, covenantal relationship with God. It's a relationship of profound de de dependence, profound dependence, nurtured by obedience to God, remaining attuned to Jesus' words as well as his love, allowing the life and love of Jesus to flow through us, leading to fruitfulness, which is his character being formed and produced in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was, his, Jesus was inviting his followers then as us now to make his way of life our way of life, to engage in a relationship with God the way he related to his father, to emulate, emulate the love he had for us by loving others the same way and to make his mission our mission. Here's the deal, life is complex, it's complicated, even chaotic at times, right? Especially when we're left to our own devices. Sin certainly is the source of all that's opposite to the life that God created us to have and sent Jesus to bring us. When Jesus invites us to abide, it's to find ourselves fully in him through an intimate relationship with God, deep community with others and a sense of purpose as we join God's mission. We're going to see each of these expressions, or we do see each of these expressions that Jesus talks about as being with God, being with others, and being sent. 
All from John 15. And as we go through the next couple weeks, we want to go deeper into what it looks like to beam with God by engaging in God's word and prayer. Beam with others, having sincere love for those around us and being sent by discovering how we're uniquely created and how we can join in God's mission. Jesus says that the key to living this way, this life we were created for, to experience life to the fullest, to flourish, is by learning how to abide. Abide is not passive. It's a deliberate choice that we make to admit that we are not capable of living this way on our own, that we can only find true life in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. It's about resting and learning how to Trust God's way and letting him to lead us. It's about yielding to the Holy Spirit as he puts to death those things in our life that are of the sinful nature. Things that are like selfishness and judgmental, being vengeful. Those tendencies and urgency, urges and desires that more look like the flesh than they do the life of Jesus. To bring out the character that's reflective of Jesus. It's about identifying the ways that we've been gifted, the passions and experiences that God has given us that are helpful for moving his kingdom forward, to share his love to others in tangible ways. And none of that, my friends, feels passive. To me, passive is like sitting around on a Saturday afternoon in my sweatpants, watching two teams play basketball that I could really care less about, and all the while, not spending much time reading my Bible, prayer, or with my family, while the upstairs bathroom has a leak in the bathtub and I don't do anything about it. That's what passive looks like to me. I've seen that here and there, right? Jesus says, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. We're in this together. You'll bear fruit if you remain in me. If you don't remain in me, you won't. Now, I'm no viticulturalist. That's a person who knows a lot about vineyards and vines. But I've been reading about this, and I've discovered a few things. And one of those things is this. It's the sap that flows from the vine to the branch that provides all the nourishment that the branch needs so that it can have a blossom which produces fruit, a grape, or for that matter, any type of fruit. The strength is provided by and through the vine. Spiritually speaking, the Holy Spirit is that sap. It's the power by which the fruit's produced in our lives. You and I can earn a living. We can raise our children. We can practice generosity. We can get good grades. We can be recognized at our workplace. We can even lead an organization and not abide. But there is no possible way for us to have the character of Christ in us without abiding. Abiding will require all of us to carefully and thoughtfully consider if we just want to remain apathetic or if we feel like there's something better, something more, something else. Maybe it's something that is more fulfilling than all the pleasures and desires that we have chased that have left us wanting. Maybe it's the grace that we need to relinquish the hate and bitterness we feel towards someone. Maybe it's the strength to pursue freedom from the addictions or the temptation that we've been fighting for years. Maybe it's the motivation to work for something more than just a paycheck. Jesus says the Father, 
the gardener, the vine dresser, as some translations say, he, he will cut off the branches that bear no fruit. He'll prune those branches in us so that we'll bear more fruit. I get a sense that he's doing this from within. That Jesus is taking those parts of our life that have choked out this good seed that's been planted in us, to use another agricultural reference that Jesus makes, right? Those things that are not of God, that seem to stifle any growth or certainly any fruit being produced, that can cause us to sever ourselves from God. But Jesus says that the Father doesn't want that to happen. He, he will cut off those places in our life that are not bearing fruit. Some translations use the word lift up instead of cut off. To speak of the, the gardener who would pick up a branch that's down on the ground that's kind of in the shadows, that's not getting any sunlight, and to move that branch up and tether it to the rest of the vine so that it receives sunlight. And what happens when it receives sunlight? It starts to grow and that blossom busts forth. Jesus says the father, the gardener, the vine dresser, he does that with great diligence and tender care. He does that so that our lives would reflect more and more the life he created us to have. Life to the fullest. Again, the sense of flourishing. It happens by being in relationship with him, expressing love to others, and also joining in what he's doing in the world around us. That's when our lives produce fruit and really flourish. It's the care and the attention of the Father who wants us to flourish, to be all we've created to be, who will remove those things that sin has tainted and bring fruition to the life that he created us for. Abiding begins on the inside where the Holy Spirit works to conform us to the image and likeness of Jesus so that the fruit of righteousness that Paul prayed for in Philippians 1 would begin to blossom and produce the outward expressions of living and loving like Jesus, which are the true identifying marks that we are connected to the vine, that he is producing fruit in us and through us. If we don't see this type of fruit in our lives, then we need to do some careful evaluation into our current connectedness to the vine. If others do see this type of fruit in our lives, then they will be curious to the why and how we choose to live this way and we'll be able to introduce them to the vine as well as to the gardener. You know, the pruning process is, is, is challenging. It's not always fun. It's not always pain-free. But there's no grapevine that ever produces its potential fruit without being pruned. So we must trust the process as well as the gardener. You know, the gardener's hand is never closer to the vine than when it's doing the work of pruning. And there might be times where it seems like we're being severely cut in our lives by the hand of the gardener, but God is never more in love with us or closer to us than when he's pruning us so that we can bear more fruit. His pruning may cause us pain, but it will never harm us. It's purposeful and it's fruit producing. I want to introduce you to a definition of abiding that we're going to use all throughout this year. To abide means to nurture an enduring intimacy with God, to foster a sincere love for others, and to engage in God's mission. When you and I live this way, 
The Holy Spirit is producing the fruit of Jesus in our life. The way that he lives and the way that he loves becomes evident in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our faith should be viewed as deep attachment and fruit bearing. We are a living branch connected to a living vine, and that vine gives life to the branch for the purpose of bearing fruit. It should be obvious to ourselves and to everyone around us that we are attached, that we're growing, and that we are bearing fruit. So I want to invite you to learn how to abide. Over the next three weeks specifically, we're going to take a deeper look into what it means for the Holy Spirit to nurture this Enduring intimacy with God that comes through engaging deeper into his word and in prayer. We want to understand what it means for the Holy Spirit to foster a sincere love for each other and those around us. We want to understand what it looks like for us to discover how we've been uniquely created and how we can be part of God's mission. Some of my teammates are going to be helping unpack what this looks like. And we want to provide you along this whole year with practical resources and action steps that you can take to discover how to abide and to experience the fruit that is produced because you are abiding. In fact, I want to point you back to our website. If you go to two places, one is cccgo.com forward slash info. If you just click on abide or you click on sermon resources, you'll find some of those resources already there. One of those is a Bible study that you could commit to this week. It's just something to read and something to think about every day. And you'll be reading John 15 verses 1 through 5 every day this week. It's a great way just to absorb what Jesus is saying about what it means to abide. The second resource you'll find there is also uh, something you can use in a group that, to discuss what it means to abide. And every week of this series, we'll be providing those for you so that maybe you're not in on reading the Bible through the year. This is something you could read every day throughout this series. Whether you're in a group of just you and your spouse or a group of friends or you're in one of those you know, typical groups that meet in a living room near you, the, the, any of those settings are a great place to use that study guide. I'd encourage you to join in this journey of learning what it means to abide, that we could experience the fruit that God wants to produce in and through us. You know, when I look at that list of those I am statements, it's interesting to point out that all of them have something to do with nourishment or survival, sustenance. And it was that same mantra Jesus used that night in the upper room when in the middle of the Passover celebration, he took a piece of bread, he broke it, and he said, I want you to eat this. This is my flesh. I want you to eat my flesh so that you'll remember my body that was broken for you. And he took some of the fruit of the vine, probably some wine made from grape juice, and he said, I want you to take this and drink it. This is my blood. I want you to remember my blood that was shed for you. When you drink this. Now, in that moment, Jesus was not, you know, encouraging cannibalism. He wasn't saying literally my body and blood. What he was saying is your nourishment comes from me. And that's why every week when we gather together as followers of Jesus, we choose to take a piece of cracker and a little grape juice to remember his body and blood that was shed for us. To remember that that's where our salvation comes from, but also to never forget how much God loves us and how much he's rescued us from. In many ways, we're celebrating the Passover, but we're celebrating that our sustenance, our nourishment, our whole life 
comes from Jesus. And we're asking him to help us to abide in him. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do in these quiet moments. Just to offer a prayer to God. Maybe you'll take it from those words Jesus said. God, I recognize that you are the gardener. Jesus, you are the vine and I'm just a branch. But I'm connected to the life-giving source that provides everything I need for life and godliness. And Jesus, I want to stay connected to you. Help me remain in you and you in me so that there will be great fruit produced in my life and through my life. Not for my glory, God, but for yours. Make that your prayer today. And I encourage you to offer that in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.